Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by Jessica Rhodes, and we're going deep on why she decided she didn't want to be the CEO of her flourishing company and why she also gave up 50% equity in the company. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow our show so you don't miss any of our future content. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Jessica. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Jessica Rhodes. Jessica founded Interview Connections. It's the world's first and leading podcast booking agency. She started it in 2013 with no other agencies existed at the time. Well, podcast booking agencies, I should say. Jessica and her crew at Interview Connections are responsible for booking thousands of podcast interviews every year and bringing millions of dollars in revenue for their incredible roster of clients. Jessica, welcome to the show. Hi, Brooke. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you. I mean, obviously I have so many podcast questions, so we'll have to like get together for a separate chat. (laughs) Sure, absolutely. But today we're going to be talking about something really interesting, which is that you founded your company, obviously, and you were the CEO, and then you decided not to be the CEO anymore. So I can't wait to hear about your journey. But first things first, what made you even want to start this company? Like, how did you get the idea of starting a podcast company in 2013? Yeah, so it was very, you know, serendipitous. When I, 10 years ago, I was a new mom. My my son is 10 years old. And I wanted to be home with my then baby. And my dad, who is a business coach, he has had an online business since I was 13 years old. He said, you can be a virtual assistant you can work from home, you can make your own hours, like it's your own business. And I had no idea what this world was even about because I was working at a nonprofit organization leading a door-to-door field canvas. So I was not online at all. I had no idea that there were agencies and online businesses, you know, and I was like, okay, that sounds great. I trust you, dad. So, and because he's a business coach, he says, read my books, take my marketing courses. I'll be your first client. So great. So I got started working with my dad, basically having a general virtual assistant business. And one of the things he had me do, he had already been podcasting. He started his show in 2012. And he says, you know, I love doing podcast interviews. I think you'd be really good at booking them for me. So why don't you get me on some business podcasts? So I was like, 
okay, you know, I pull out my little like $200 Dell laptop and I'm searching like business podcasts. This one looks good. And I'm like, how do I get, okay, you know, and I started pitching my dad, just emailing. I had no idea who was who. So I was probably reaching out to shows that were far out of reach, but I like ignorance and naivete can really serve you in business when you don't know what the limitations are. You're just like, I'm like, I'm just pitching. And, you know, I remember getting like my dad booked for the first time and I'm like, oh my God, it's so exciting. And so then I'm like, well, we should make you a one sheet, which has, you know, your bio and your topics and questions. So I coined the term podcast one sheet in 2013. And at the time it was like a Microsoft Word document with some text boxes. Like it was very, you know, now they're very fancy. I'm like, let's do this. And so really started putting together a system of getting these interviews booked. And I would see how my dad would collaborate. Like I remember booking him on Entrepreneurs on Fire with John Lee Dumas. And then him, John was like, yeah, I'd love to have him on the show. Can I go on his show? And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, pod swap. (laughs) And then they would, I remember my dad was out in San Diego. They met up for lunch. And so all these light bulbs are going off. I'm like, oh my gosh, just by booking this interview, they're now promoting each other's stuff. They're now meeting up in person. There's this like collaboration, like partnership happening and the entrepreneurial juices were flowing. I'm like, this is really cool. Like if there's some intention behind getting these entrepreneurs booked on podcasts, just like look what could be created. So the summer of 2013, I worked on transitioning from being a general VA to foundinginterviewconnections.com and creating packages of getting, you know, guaranteed number of bookings for a certain price per month. Uh, So it was was really exciting. And that's kind of how Interview Connections came to be. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well, happy 10 year anniversary, by the way. (laughs) 10 years is huge. So congrats to that. And I know that like pretty quickly, you grew the business to multiple six figures, like within the first couple of years. So that's amazing. But like, tell us what you had to do to get there and maybe what you had to sacrifice to get there. Absolutely. You know, so in business, there are vanity metrics and there are gross revenue numbers, which we love to share. Like I did grow the business to six figures in its first full year, but there's more to the story than I was making 9,000. At least, you know, I always know the number. It's like 83.3 per <laughs> month, you know, to get to that six figures. And then it's 83, 84,000 a month to get to seven figures. Like, so number one, you know, knowing what your monthly revenue needs to be to ultimately achieve that six, seven figure year. So, I mean, a couple of the things I did end up joining my dad's business mastermind group and he made me pay for it. Um, He is old fashioned that way. I did, you know, invest in being in his mastermind group. Number one, it was setting the goal. It was saying, I want to make six figures. And at the time that number was incredibly scary to even say out loud. I was like, this is insane. Like people that make six figures are rich and I've never been around rich people. Like (laughs) it was just like breaking through those initial money blocks, setting the goal. And then I basically did everything my dad told me, which I think is a really important lesson when you have a business coach, do what they advise. So, you know, went to the conferences, hustled, like made the connections. I remember, like I mentioned, John Lee Dumas being somebody I booked interviews with early on, like asking him, hey, can we have a referral partnership? Can you promote me to your, you know, membership, things like that. So it was really just being in hustle mode and like getting out there is what helped me reach that six figures early on. However, what was happening, like if you you know, open the hood of the car. What was happening underneath is I was using my personal credit cards to pay for the tickets to the conferences, to pay for the hotels, to be at the conferences, to, you know, be in the business mastermind group. Like there was a lot of money personally going out. I hadn't technically made it an official LLC or S corp yet. So it was all like personal, 
you know, personally investing and, and being saying to my husband, like, trust me, like, it'll work. <laughs> you know? So like, it was definitely like, I got into a ton of personal credit card debt early on. So that was definitely the difficult side of things. So yeah, it was really challenging. I was also doing a lot of the work myself. It was an agency, but the agency was owned, led and operated by me. And so then eventually I'm like, I need a team. So I remember hiring my first virtual assistant and she wasn't cheap. I mean, I think it was actually like $28 an hour, which, you know, depending on where you're at, that could be not a lot or a lot. It was a lot for me early on. Significant, especially back then too. And your first person, your first hire, that's, I think that's a significant number. Yeah. So I realized like, as I'm going to grow, I need a team. And I was also had no idea what to charge because nobody was Nobody had a podcast booking agency. I had no idea how to price my services. My first packages were like $77 a month. <laughs> what? Oh, you're hired. <laughs> it was like $197 a month. By the yeah. way, Michael Stelsner was my client early on. I booked guests. And I remember it, it was like $197. He's like, yeah, I'll pay that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd pay it right now. Come on, sign me up. <laughs> Got it at the ground level. So that was part of it, like not understanding how, like what the value of the service was, not charging accurately, and then having to build a team to deliver the service, but not really charging enough. So profits were pretty slim early on. It, it definitely took some time to get, you know, to figure out how much to charge, you know, how to grow a team that can operate, you know, deliver the service. So. Yeah. Can we dig into the pricing structure a little bit? Because I feel like I'm like really aligning with practically everything you're saying, right? Because I've been on this journey too, just in a, in a different way, business way. But how did you decide? Like, when did you start to realize, okay, 77 is too low. Okay, 197 is too low. Like walk us through like a little bit of how you decided or what were the, the clues that helped you figure out like, okay, yeah, I've got to charge more. Was it the team was it basically it was when nobody was saying no like everyone was signing up because they knew they were getting such a deal like they all of my clients had way more business experience than I did so they were like yeah 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 like I had (laughs) zero price resistance so at the time it was like so exciting because there was really good momentum early on and also my dad it was was really good having a business coach and being in a mastermind because he would teach me that like when you're not getting he had some kind it's probably 80 20 80 20 is always the you know the rule in so many aspects of business but when you're not getting any price resistance at all you need to increase your prices so i increased my prices a lot in the first couple of years then once i started getting you know probably 20 percent of my leads kind of pushing back then i'm like okay this is good like you don't actually want everyone to say yes, because they're probably not charging enough. That's such great advice for anybody who's listening, because that's kind of the same thing I did. You know, I didn't have a mastermind at the time. I had my, my boyfriend now husband who's in finance and he was saying the same thing. Like you're not getting any pushback. Like you're selling like hotcakes. Like that's great. Right. Cause I'm like, celebrate. Woo. Look at me. And, uh, he's like, no, 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 no. You, you have to raise your price. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I love that. Well, okay. So fast forward to the five-year mark for you and you made the incredible decision to give 50% equity to your very first employee. Like phew, explain, like tell the whole story. I want, I want it from beginning to end and all the details in between. How did you decide to do that and why? Yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy story. So my very first employee was somebody that, you know, she started out as a 1099 contractor. She's somebody that I had worked with at the nonprofit that I was working at. So we had already kind of known each other. We went our separate ways. Long story short, we reconnected because her dad died and I adopted his cat. 
And so we reconnected. I that cat is walking around here somewhere. She's like <laughs> a million years old. But we reconnected that way via Facebook when she was trying to get her dad's animals adopted out. And then she came and started working with me at Interview Connections as a guest booker, made her the very first W-2 employee. And that first year, 2017, of having full-time employees. So 2013 through, you know, 2016 was all contractors. 2017, we transitioned to the W-2 model. And she was my first employee and really my right-hand person. I mean, in so many ways, she truly was my partner that year, even though she was still an employee and not a business owner. And we just like, it was amazing. Like, you know, when people ask, like, how did you know, you know, your, your spouse was the one and you just kind of like, you just know, like <laughs> it was like that in a, obviously a platonic way, but like we just clicked and we worked so well together. She truly acted as if she co-owned the business. Like she took insane ownership over it. And towards the end, like my vision up to that point was like, I want to grow to six figures. I want to have employees. I want to have a physical office space. Like I had this vision. And then once I achieved that vision, I got depressed. I was so blue. And now in hindsight, I can see it was like, now what? Uh Like, what do I do now? Like I had, I got what I set out to do. What do I do now? Like, I'm not actually very excited anymore. And she was bringing this like fresh energy into the business. And she was like, we were like talking about ideas. Like, what if we do this? What if we start this? And I remember we went out to lunch together. It was like November of 2017. And we go out to lunch together. We're talking about all these ideas. And as we're walking back into the office, I just said, do you want to be a business owner? And she goes, yes. Like without a beat, she said, yes. And I was like, okay. So I cannot, I was paying her like, like 50 grand a year. Like it was, I'm like, she's worth way more than that. So I can't afford to start paying her like a six figure salary. Cause that, I do believe that's what she is worth and was worth. So I was my mind just started going, Oh my God, like, I'm going to lose this girl. Like she is going to leave because she's not going to be able to get what she truly, you know, wants by being an employee at interview connections. And I really was also like, I don't want to keep running this business, at least by myself. Like I was just like, so freaking depressed. Like it was a dark time. And yeah. And so we went in and it kind of started out as like, you know, offering her five, 10%, like, you know, giving an employee like a small amount of equity and she plays hardball. She was like, no, like if I'm going to own part of the business, like I want half, like we're not doing this like 49, 51 thing. Like we're in this together equal. And it was such a journey. Like I was Googling and looking at podcasts about like giving people (laughs) equity. I was like trying to learn as much as I could about it. And there are all these different confusing models. And I remember I went to like a yoga class and just in meditation, just kind of was like, what do I want? I was like, I want a 50% partner. Like I want somebody that I can lock arms with and know that we're in it together. We're in the dark parts together and we're in the wins together. Like, I don't want to be taking a profit distribution and being like, oh, I get 51% and you get 40. Like it just... Or I get 30 and you get six, like whatever. The yeah. Thing. And so we decided, and I actually, so funny. We always joke, welcome back. I basically wrote her a letter and our office was right near the bay. So we walked and I read her this letter like, oh. on the overlook of the water. And it was just like, let's do this. And, and it was also an emotional time too, because my husband had been working in the business with me. And at that point he was like, it was sort of like breaking up with my husband business wise because oh, no. like he wasn't, he was basically working for free, you know, cause it's his wife's business. But he's like, well, if you only own half the business, I'm not going to just like give my time for free. So that was also emotional and difficult, you know, for him and for me to be like, we're severing this like working relationship together, which ultimately I think was better for our marriage in the long run, but it was still kind of hard in, in the moment. 
So yeah, that's kind of the story of how I brought her on. And then it was great because she came in with all these fresh ideas. She's like, we're taking this business to seven figures. This is how we're going to do it. She's like, we're going to leave your dad's mastermind. And that was also <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh my God, oh, no, another breakup. <laughs> she was just like ripping me out of my comfort zone. So yeah. <laughs> wow. That is like a fascinating, it like sounds like a movie almost. Like, it could be a movie for sure. <laughs> yeah. But okay. So I just have to know, cause I'm nosy. What did your roles end up being like? So she went from being kind of like on the team to now being like leadership. So did y'all talk about like what you were going to be called or what titles or roles that you had or job descriptions? Like, where did y'all go with that? I mean, the roles and the job descriptions were very, it was all a whole big gray area for a while, like for a solid year, year and a half, we were just kind of like co-running the business together and both kind of doing whatever had to get done. So there wasn't really a clear set of responsibilities for each of us. I mean, we kind of like had our lanes and what we were doing, but we also just were kind of like in lockstep doing everything together. And then eventually after kind of the dust settled that I will say that first year also 2018. So we signed our partnership agreement 2018 in January, we went right into the landmark curriculum for living, which is a very like intense personal development program. Some call it a little culty. It is not, but it is very, it's sort of like a Tony Robbins with like less spotlights and dancing. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) but it is a journey. Like it really shook us. And we learned through that a language that we could use to work through challenges, to work through conflicts, to, you know, they say like get complete with your past, like learn when you're creating a story about a situation versus just like looking at the facts of what is happening. So that was critical. Like I do believe we would not be as successful as we are today if we hadn't gone through that together and learned that. And we've done so many different personal development stuff together since then, but that was like the beginning of it together. Well, I like that you went into the program together, right? Like you made this goal and you said, we're going to take this program. We're going to do it together because then it's not like someone coming back and saying like, I did this thing and here's what we're supposed to do because how do you know you're going to have buy-in, right? Yes. But because you went through it together, you'll both had buy-in. You knew the the rules, the steps, the processes, and then you made it happen. And that was big. We, we've always done stuff for the most part. I've always done stuff together. Like we joined Allie Brown's premier group because she is known for getting women to seven figures and helping seven figure entrepreneurs. And it was kind of unique for her because we were having our consultation. She's like, you know, normally it's the founder or the one owner. Sometimes her clients have a partner, but it's their husband. So it's just the female that goes. And we were like, it's non-negotiable. Like we are both going to every meeting and doing these calls together because it just doesn't translate when one person comes all back fired up from a mastermind. The other one's like, what? Like they weren't there. Like we had to do that stuff together. So we were both in it together. I love it. Okay. So you're having all of this success breakups, but for the better, it sounds like. Yeah. Why did you decide to step away from the CEO role? Because I can tell you as the founder and CEO, I'm like, she's crazy. (laughs) But obviously you're doing so well and you're so successful. So it worked for you. So like what led you to say, you know what, I need to do it this way. Yeah. And that was another thing, just thinking back to one of your previous questions in that first year, year and a half, like even though Margie was 50% owner at that point, she still kind of was, you know, in the eyes of our audience and our clients. And when we would go to conference and stuff, like still kind of in my shadow, you know, because I had been the face and I still very much am the face of interview connections, but like still not 
in her zone of genius. It was still kind of like doing the work of an employee, you know, working with some coaches and and having breakthroughs around like what we're really good at as she could step into her power more and really thrive in what she does best, which is vision casting. I mean, that is the role of a CEO to cast a vision for where the company is going and solve the problems that are keeping the business from getting there. That is what she is brilliant at. I am very much a doer. I do the sales calls. I do the marketing. Like I teach about podcast casting. I talk about it all the time. Like I I like to get in the weeds and like help the team. And so for me, I couldn't keep my head above water long enough to really cast a vision. It just wasn't natural for me, but it was really good for her. Like that's what she does really well. And I remember like, you know, the coaches we've worked with have also just doubled as like marriage counselors because they could like, you know, like be that third person in the room to like hear what both of us were saying and help us come together. And, and there was that moment. I mean, I had to, you know, say like, you're the CEO, like understanding. And we also had to learn, like, I mean, I'm sure there was a time where I Googled, like, what is the CEO? What is the president? Like, what is actually the yeah. job? Because yeah. as online entrepreneurs, we don't always look up like actually the job description of what these roles are that we're touting on LinkedIn. <laughs> like, this is very true. So when I look up, like, what does a CEO do? I'm like, oh, that's Margie's job, you know? And so while it was difficult to like step down, ultimately there was so much more happiness to do what I'm really good at and be in the role that I'm really good at and can thrive at. So it's, it's worth it. And it's difficult because in online entrepreneurship and among a lot of agency owners, like being the founder and CEO is so glorified, but just because you're the founder doesn't mean you're the best person to be the CEO. Like there's a very specific skill set that is required. And a lot of agency founders start as doers, right? If you're developing websites, if you're doing design, like booking podcast interviews, you're really good at that thing. So to transition into a role where you're vision casting and strategizing and managing the finances, it's a completely different job. So the lesson for me was like, and, and the blessing in having a partner was realizing I didn't have to do that job to keep the business going. So interesting what you're saying, because did you get the visionary implementer from EOS, by the way? Not from EOS, but there there have been a few different systems. I'm familiar with that. I think I read part of like Traction. Yeah. Book, but yeah. <laughs> so for those of you listening or watching, EOS book Traction was something that my husband and I read together when he decided to join the company. And what we found is, you know, I'm more the visionary. I'm quite capable of being the implementer, which I was for like, you know, 10 years, but I'm better off being the visionary. And you're right. It's a completely different, the implementer and the visionary are really two different people. Yeah. But what the book says is if you have those two people at the top, those businesses tend to go crazy wild, right? They're really successful. So it sounds like you have your visionary and you are the implementer and y'all have been very successful because of that. Yeah. And it's great. And we always stay in communication because we, like we say to each other, like, just because she's more of a visionary and that's her skills, that doesn't mean I'm not also a visionary. She's also a great implementer. You know, there is balance, but owning and getting real about where your zone of genius is, where you can operate best. Like, I thrive on a day where I have a lot of tasks. Like I do very well with that. If I have a wide open calendar, 
and just time to think. Sometimes that's like the worst day for me because I'm like, ah, what do I do? But Margie, if she could just walk for four hours and be thinking and listening to books and coming, like that is where she works best. That's how she gives the most value to the company. So that is just something that we've learned a lot about over the years and has been, you know, kind of our secret to success. Well, the secret no more. Yeah. (laughs) Find your visionary and your implementer and realize that it may not be you, right? Yeah. Brings me to the next point. Why do you think, and I'm including myself in this statement, why do you think so many owners are afraid to bring on a business partner or feel as though they have to be the CEO and the founder? Like what, what do you think that is attributed to? I think that it's attributed a lot to the perception that, It all brings, I mean, the perception that if you're not the CEO, like you're not as valuable or you're not as smart. I mean, that's been, there's a lot of personal growth that has happened throughout this journey. I mean, once we hit seven figures, it wasn't like there were new strategies and tactics. I mean, sure, different things get peppered in to grow, but it's it's like going back to basics is the big thing. What happens like at seven figures to grow from that point is really a personal growth journey. It is emotional healing. It's learning how to stay regulated in your nervous system so you don't get all fight or flight every time that there's a problem in the business. And so I think a lot of times when people are, you know, cling and attach so much to that CEO title, it's like, what will people think of me, you know, if I'm not this? And it's so it's so glamorized in the entrepreneurship space. Like it's so like, Oh, I'm the CEO, you know, it's so powerful. It's the top position in any company. So to not be that, like, what does that say about you? Like there's this fear about what people will think. And if that's not a conscious thought, I think it's definitely an unconscious fear. And then also like the whole equity thing. I think there's a lot of fear in giving up equity. I am telling you, I've made way more money owning half the company than I would have if I kept a hundred percent of it. I promise you that there's no way I could have grown it to this point on my own. And to this day, when there's problems and challenges, we always say to each other, oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) not a green screen. (laughs) No, you know, we always say, like, I don't know how people do this alone. Like, I don't know how people do this without, obviously people figure it out, but it's like, we are so grateful to have a partner to confide in, to help, to, you know, be each other's pack. I'll never forget. I think about this all the time. We were in this mastermind group and a woman named Dr. Jill Wade, love her. And she said to us, she's like, girls, you two are the only two that are going to be in this business till the end. Like never forget that because over the years, right, you get attached to certain employees, certain people, certain clients. But at the end of the day, it's the two owners, the owner, like it's your business and you and your partner's business. And so that kind of keeps us together because when there are challenges, you know, sometimes like you get irritated at the other person and it's like, no, 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 mom and dad can't fight. Like they got to be a united (laughs) front. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask, I mean, okay. So first things first. Okay. Two questions. First, what did you change your title to? So Margie went to CEO. Yeah. For a while I was calling myself the president. Now I just say founder and co-owner. I mean, I do lead the sales and marketing team, but I just say founder because that'll never change. (laughs) That's perfect. And then, yeah, my next question was like, obviously you and Margie are close, your friends, your partners in life and in this business. How do you overcome those difficult parts, right? Because again, this is like kind of a personal question, but I'm sure people listening or watching want to know too, like who's the tiebreaker? Like what do you do if you are, you know, both just super opposed to whatever that decision or strategy is? 
Yeah, well, number one, one of my tips for business partnerships to keep it going successfully is boundaries. And that has all like, like having boundaries set on me has been one of the things that I've had to work through because I can get very triggered and like have a sense of like rejection or abandonment when someone sets a clear boundary. Margie's really good at setting boundaries. So it's like, we were brought together to heal heal each other's wounds, you know? And so we have had like very clear boundaries. Like we are business partners and close, close friends, but we actually don't really see each other or talk to each other outside of our workspace. And, And that's really important. You know, she is married to an amazing person. I have my family, like we are actually very different and have a lot of different life interests. So outside of work, we don't hang out outside of work. That doesn't mean we're not close friends and we don't love each other, but like we have those boundaries so we can each, you know, recharge outside of the business. You know, having very specific like lines of communication, like we use Slack. So we try to always keep our communication about work in Slack. Even if it's off hours, we don't just text each other. It's like, we want to respect that. Okay. If it's Friday evening, Sunday morning, we our business owners, right? We're probably, our minds are going, we put it in Slack. And so that way, if somebody wants to communicate about work, they can open Slack and respond. Sometimes it feeds into an Instagram DM too, but, um, (laughs) but we actually like hardly ever use iMessage because we want to keep our communication to spaces where there's a conscious, I'm going to open this app to get a message. So that's, that's a really big thing that I think has helped a ton because I think that a lot of business partnerships that fail, there's just no boundaries and people just feel suffocated and overworked and abused. And so keeping those really clear boundaries around when and how to communicate has been really, really helpful. I forgot the second part of your question because I kind of went on a tangent there. No, no, that's great. I mean, I think boundaries are the key to any successful relationship, but especially professional relationships, right? So I think that's great advice there. You talked about some of the pros of not being the CEO, but what are some of the cons? Like, how did you feel? How long did it take for you to like feel comfortable with the decision? All the nitty gritty of what that was like. Yeah. I mean, I can say it now kind of with ease that like there's, you know, there's shame involved in all of that, but it was a tumultuous journey of, of coming around to that. And in that process, there was sort of a, sometimes you got to break down to build up you know, breakdowns always come before a breakthrough. And that truly was the case. I really broke down and had to break down. Like Margie and I have a really amazing equal partnerships, but there's also been ebbs and flows where like for a while after we made that decision, she started really, really shining. Like she launched her own personal brand. She's got like 30 plus thousand followers on TikTok now. Like she just, really came out. And then I kind of pulled back, you know, like beginning, right. Fast forward, like rewind to, you know, 2017, 2018, she was kind of in my shadow. Cause I was like out speaking and talking about podcast guesting and all that stuff. And was like the face of the company. And then it, it, it kind of shifted. Like she became CEO and, you know, in a lot of our masterminds, like she would kind of like lead our hot seat and lead in like the, the problem solving. And then I kind of shrunk a little bit and there's a lot of lessons and is difficult to learn, okay, how do we get this, this footing of like truly being just for one person to shine doesn't mean the other person has to be in the shadow, but we kind of had to go through that push pull to then figure out how do we both shine in our individual lanes? It just took me a while to figure out where I shine. So yeah, that was the hard part. And I mean, I'm telling you, like there were, you know, crying and questioning everything and like, 
Do I even want to be a business owner if I'm not the CEO? Like, can, can you, can that even be a thing? Like, <laughs> Is it a thing? Yeah. Not want to be a CEO. So there was, there was a lot of introspection and healing and, and she always stuck by my side with it, even though it, it was difficult at times. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, I could talk for a long time about it, but that's kind of the long and short of it. It, it was an emotionally challenging healing journey to get to the point where I feel like I'm in my lane and and in a place and in a position where I'm valued and I'm shining. And she is too. It's not like one of us is shining and the other one isn't. It it took a little bit to get there. Well, if you could attribute you finally coming to a good place with everything to one thing, or, you know, most of it was because of this one thing, what would it be? So recently, you know, we've been through a lot of personal development. It is for each of us. I think I'm confident in speaking for both of us when I say learning how to regulate our nervous systems is is the key. Because we look back and can see how many conflicts, how many problems were because we were so dysregulated and stressed and like in a constant state of fight or flight. And you just cannot see clearly when you are just in a state of threat all the time. I mean, I look back to moments where I had, you know, employees like quit in the middle of a launch and, and I remember shaking and like being so threatened, like that, that stress response where you just like, can't, like your, your body is literally shaking. And I didn't know how to get out of that. And so when I learned how to, you know, we both became clients and dear friends of Elizabeth Kristoff, who owns brain-based wellness, and she teaches applied neurology, learning the tools to calm the nervous system down, get to a point where you can see clearly and not feel like a bear is chasing you because so often, like there's a funny meme where it's like, I wish my fight or flight response knew that that's for when I'm actually going to die and not for when I have an email that I don't respond to. Yes. So like so many tactics, so many strategies, so many lessons, but at the end of the day, learning how to regulate our nervous system was, is what allows us now to approach everything with a calm and collected state. So instead of mind over matter, it's like matter over mind almost, or like learning physical control to then control the mind. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's um, separate from mind over matter, but it's really just training your brain that you're safe and you're safe and everything is basically okay. I love it. I need to go. I'm going to look all of that up. So you, you've pointed to several reasons why you and Margie have a successful partnership, but For anybody who's listening or watching who is thinking like, oh my gosh, this sounds like me. I'm the founder. I'm the CEO. I'm struggling. I, you know, I I don't even know if I want to be a business owner. All the things you talked about, what would be like the top three tips you would tell them to look for in a successful, you know, in a partner? And then how do you, you know, what are the top three things that you would do with that partner to make sure it was a success? So to look for a partner, it's so hard for me to give this advice because it was so serendipitous to me. But I think that that's kind of the point is like, it is about manifesting it because you don't always, so much of what we accomplished and where we've gone, the roadmap to get there, I couldn't have predicted, you know? So I I would number one, manifest it, envision it. Like, what do you want in a partner? What do you want to spend your time doing? And what do you not want to spend your time doing? And for some people that's hiring a really high level person that maybe doesn't have an equity share, but is like a top, top level executive that can come in and do that job. I mean, plenty of people hire a CEO. That doesn't mean they have to be an equity shareholder. So I would manifest what you want and then seek the support, right? Join the right masterminds, find the right business coaches, talk to people who have a business partner, talk to people who have hired a CEO, 
learn about what they've done. I mean, like listen to podcast episodes where people share their (laughs) story. I, I was like, I was like, you know, I'm the type of person to listen to a podcast and I feel like the person can hear me when I'm like listening to them. But then, you know, Pat Flint did an interview about how he, you know, is not the CEO and he brought on a partner and, and like hearing him be interviewed about that. I was like, yes, like I'm so happy more founders are talking about how it's not always about getting to the CEO seat. And sometimes you get there and you realize mm, not for me, let's change it up. Like you, the lesson is you have the power. It is your business. You can make these decisions and make these changes. And there's plenty of support around you from podcasts to coaches to masterminds that can help you. Sorry, I I know I forgot your second part of your question. (laughs) No, just saying like once you find that partner, like what are the top three tips for making sure that's a successful partnership? Yes. Communication, communication, communication. That is the root of all success and also lack of communication is the root of all demise of all partnership failures. It really just comes down to a lack of communication and integrity is another big thing. Always honoring your word, communicating. If you're, you can't honor your word, you can't do what you say you're going to do. You clear it up. Like that's really big for Margie and I, if I make a mistake, if she makes a mistake, we don't do something, we clear it up. We don't just try to hide it or uh, like you, you communicate about everything. I've heard about business partners, like literally having a marriage therapist, like having a counselor. I think that's really, really powerful in terms of like the tiebreaker. Yeah. We had a client and they were husband, wife, business partners. And they told us this like in passing and we adopted it. And it's been amazing is when there's a disagreement, we ask each other, what is your strength of feeling? Scale of one to 10, 10 out of 10 is like, I would die on a hill for this going my way. So we ask each other that. And sometimes she's like 10 out of 10, I feel very strongly. And if I disagree with her, I'm like, I disagree, but I'm not like a five out of 10. So we can go with your, that has been foolproof, never failed us. Oh, wow. I really love that. Okay. So like, just to repeat it for those listening or watching. So the tiebreaker is. What is your strength of feeling? What is your strength of feeling? One out of 10. What, well, what happens if you both say 10? <laughs> That's never happened. I guess in that case, you need to call up your marriage therapist and get some advice. No, it really just comes down to, you know, being truly, truly honest. Because now we do have clear enough lanes are like, we used to always get together on like giving out raises, knowing who to promote, demo, all that stuff she pretty much handles that. You know, she's like, Hey, I gave this person a raise. I'm like, cool. Like that's her lane. Now we don't need to communicate about every single decision, but for a while, the strength of feeling method was, you know, has served us very well. It's amazing. (laughs) I'm going to steal that. Do it. I recommend every marriage partnership, like everyone should use that methodology. (laughs) I really do like it. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense unless of course you both end up at tens, but like somebody probably could give at that point. Right. Exactly. Well, this has been fascinating. I've learned so much. And I know for me, being the founder and the CEO, a lot of things you said really, you know, kind of piqued my interest and made me think about a few things. So thank you for that. And thank you for being such an amazing guest and and pulling back the curtain for everyone who's going to watch and listen. Can you tell everybody where to find you, what you're working on, all the great things about how to get in touch with Jessica? Sure. Yeah. Interviewconnections.com is our website. So you can learn all about our podcast booking services. If you want to be a guest on podcasts, interviewconnections.com, really the best place to find us. You can find me on LinkedIn and social media, Jessica Rhodes. Yeah. If you're interested in what we do, interviewconnections.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us today for another episode of the Marketing Agency Show. We will see you all next time. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. 
If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about this show. I'm at Brooke Sellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, make sure you tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast, the Web3 Business Podcast, and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.